0: Recorded live at Talks and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Heirs Podcast. The show that shows you what's behind the collar. This is Bullhagen. And uh, just me today, and I wanted to try something new. I wanted to take you, so to speak, inside the preacher's studio inside to show you the anatomy of a sermon. And this is what I'm going to do with you is I'm going to take you along the journey of sermon writing. So as I take you along the journey of sermon writing, I'm just going to kind of uh, let you in behind the collar. What is it that I think about when I'm writing a sermon? How do I uh, take the text and uh, put it on, on paper, um, how is it that, uh, what are the things that I think about when I'm applying it to the needs of the congregation, and uh, how I do it. Now, me saying that, every pastor is going to be do it a little differently. Every pastor is going to have their own way, and I'm just saying what works for me. One thing I wanted you to know is I'm not going to get too much into the ex- exegetical stuff right now, For the purpose of this podcast, uh, you just kind of have to trust that I've done it. I might bring a few things out in my overall beginning of it, but uh, uh, you just kind of have to trust that I've done it because I've noticed most of the time when I do get stuck in sermon writing, it it comes from the fact that I haven't studied the text or internalized the text like I should. Uh, or maybe I've kind of rest rest if I rest on what I've already known about the text not really diving into it fresh again uh, it doesn't always go well either it gets kind of stale because when I when I look at the text um, I I kind of take the state that I'm in the place I'm in and the place the congregation is in and the context of what's going on in the world I bring that all in into the text as I'm studying it. And so to simply, well, this is what I think about the text, or this is what it says, uh, um, I actually approach it differently. Not that the text changes, certainly. The text sta- uh, says the same uh, every time. There's a main point to the text. However, there are different things in the text that, uh, that I find uh, more interesting or something that I need to hear or the congregation needs to hear that uh, if if I didn't study it fresh anew, I wouldn't see those things. And so uh, you'll just have to trust that for some of this exegetical work, and if you're not a pastor, you're not knowing what that means, is specifically getting at, uh, from the original languages, what this text is actually saying, from its context as well, from its its uh, placement within the book, all those things. What is this text saying specifically according to uh, the way God penned it? So so when I, that's what I mean by exegetical. So please trust that I've, I've done a lot of that work, even though I'm not going to be talking about that work. So uh, that being said, uh, let me get into the text. So the text that uh, I will be preaching on is uh, from Luke chapter 5, and it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. when he saw two boats by the lake, And also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So this is the text of the sermon that I am preparing. Um, So as I... Look at this. Here are some things pertinent that I, I find kind of necessary because I actually haven't written the sermon yet. I'm actually doing this, writing the sermon in process of doing this podcast. So I'm actually taking you along with this sermon process. So one thing I do, uh, uh, the listener would know this. I have I have an active mind, a busy mind, and so one thing I do when I write a sermon is I play some nice calming music. There you go. And see, this music here helps me. It helps me kind of focus and zero it, and it calms my mind down so that I can really focus on what I need to do. So, first thing I, I want to point out is um, how they were pressing in to hear the Word of God, um, really, Word which comes from God. Um, you heard the word *gesenerit*, which is... Uh, a word really not used very often, but uh, really in the same region is Galilee. He saw two boats by the lake, and uh, and uh, and uh, obviously the the miraculous catch of fish. Now Peter or Simon, uh, Simon says uh, um, he's all frightened by it as he brings in the net. Uh, you know he uses a phrase of authority. Uh, not necessarily rabbi, but master, uh, and um, in using that word, he's showing that yes, Jesus has authority. But he says, in a sense, we've been trying, uh, but we have all night, but we haven't got anything. Um, he's acting kind of as though uh, you know, you might be a carpenter, you don't know anything about fishing. Um, you know, Jesus, this is real life here. Um, we tried all night. There's no fish to be had right now. We're cleaning our nets. But at your word, he says, he will do that. And I'll, I'll come back to this point. You know, this whole idea of what do you know about fishing? Because uh, that, that I think that's an important point here. Um, about the there's an interesting interplay that I think I'm going to wind up going here with this text about fishing and being close to Jesus or fishing and hearing his word. So Peter then shows us um, and teaches us how sinful men really understands the miraculous of God or how they understand uh, anything when they're faced with the idea of the existence of God or with with Simon here specifically um, when he encounters God standing in the midst. Uh, And by by the way, I, I will refer to him both as Simon and Peter, same guy. Don't let that confuse me. I don't want to have to think about am I simoning or petering. So uh, just just bear me, with me on that. But uh, I think you can see this a lot today where people are confronted with uh, a, the idea of creator and it frightens them. Uh, you know, you have this new uh, telescope that's that's going out and people are freaked out about what it's seeing. And I think sometimes they're seeing... The, they're seeing, oh, this universe is more expansive than I thought. There's more of this that confuses me. And rather than looking at the idea that, oh, this is a, a creation that God gave us, they're looking at it as, uh, oh, there's more more studying. There's more we don't understand. Um, and I think that's causing some uh, some angst, trying to explain all of this without the idea of God. Um and so you have Simon, as he brings in all these fish at the word of Jesus, uh, he has fear. Uh, and uh, it's something, as he, he does this, that I, I also find interesting. And so far in the text, he refers to him as Simon, 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 Simon. And then as he falls at Jesus' feet, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, it says, this is what Simon Peter said. Which is interesting because as he expresses this faith, not complete faith, he expresses a faith um, that one, Jesus is God, and two, he carries authority, and three, he is a sinful man. Uh, Then Luke uses the, the name Simon Peter. This is the Peter that confesses the faith. This is a Peter in which Christ builds his rock on the word of God that Peter will preach. And so as he falls down and says, says this, uh, that's when he's, given, he's called Simon Peter. Although he won't be given the name by Jesus till much later. Um, it's interesting that Luke kind of puts that in there and telling what's happening. Now, this is Simon Peter saying this. So as he confesses, one, that Jesus is God, two, that he is a sinful man, that's only part of the equation. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Words of absolution... Uh, so not only did he recognize his sin, recognize that Jesus is God, he needed to hear, hear those words, do not be afraid. Words, I believe, of absolution. Uh, it harkens back to whenever someone sees uh, the glory of God, uh, even, even with the angels appearing to the shepherds. Uh, they were very afraid, and what does the angel say? Fear not. Or you even think of the resurrection of Jesus when he appears before them. And they are afraid, and Jesus says, Peace be with you. Yes, I am the God who rose from the dead, who suffered and died and rose, but do not be afraid. Uh, uh, Peace be with you. Your sins are forgiven. We also, by the way, have notes of the resurrection of of our Lord Jesus, because Jesus will give another miraculous catch of fish uh, after the resurrection, and instead of being afraid of God, like he is here when he is confronted with them, uh, Peter then is very excited and he jumps in the lake and has some fish with Jesus. So there's a there's a lot of beautiful things uh, going on in here. So there is also, I think, a point to be made uh, of the catch of fish. I want to mention that. I don't think that this is about prosperity. You know, follow Jesus, and I'm, I'm sure in many corners, particularly probably in more of the Baptist sector, there's an idea of, you know, just listen to God and he will bring great success. I think it's more about trust. Like I said earlier, Peter didn't want to trust, really, uh, that, uh, that Jesus knew what it came to fishing. But this is really about, remember, uh, uh, catching people with the word of God. So there's a trust there. Peter didn't want to trust that the Lord of life or the God of salvation actually knew what he was doing. Mm. He wanted to, to so well, we tried. But God knows, Jesus particularly knows how to catch people with his word. He knows how faith is created. He knows how faith is sustaining. He knows how the word of God changes. So when we think of that aspect, hearing Christ and his word, and trusting that his word will do what it says it does, trusting that that word will create faith, trusting that baptism does what Christ says it does, trusting that the Lord's Supper gives what Jesus promises it gives. All those things comes to the fact that when it comes to the work of the church, we trust in how Jesus decides to bring us in, and we trust how he decides his work does his work, how he confronts sin, And so the word of God and the words of Christ, in the Bible, uh, as the inerrant word of God, leads us and guides us in all of that. All right. So that being said now, that I've kinda got some ideas of the text. I kinda wanna kinda bring you in of the direction. One thing interesting about a lot of my sermon preparation is I get an idea and I know the text, okay? I've internalized the text I know. I once I kind of get a, a smattering of ideas. I've actually done to, a top twelve list where I've kind of kind of given you my ideas on what I could preach on the text. And then I'll I usually go with one. With this one, there's all sorts of things um, that I could go with. It could be one of more missional. It could be on uh, on on faith. Uh, it can be on the Word of God. Um, it can be on on. Explaining what a miracle is and how these miracles uh, are very important to the Christian faith, and so, but what really got me thinking about this text is, um, I was, we have a a food stand. I was visiting with someone at the food stand from our congregation, and for some reason, the the topic of the the hymn in the garden came up, and um, and 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 I was talking how that's not in the garden. which is not a Lutheran hymn and not one that we sing in our churches, or at least I don't, you know, some, some do, but I prefer not to, um, where the, the, the gist, gist of, of kind of the theme of the, the hymn is, you know, I'm in the garden and uh, Jesus walks with me and he talks with me while I'm in the garden. And uh, I talked about, I mean, how often have you heard, and this is a direction I'm going to go with the text, how often have you heard someone say something to this effect? I feel closer to God when I'm out fishing. In the hymns case, walking in the garden. I feel close to God when I'm out hunting for Vicar's sake, right? We <laughs> you know he likes to hunt. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned uh, to this person, and he, he kind of thought it was a good point. I said, now someone might feel close to God Uh, in that setting but doesn't mean that the feeling is mutual what I mean by that is you may feel close to God but that's not the full story and uh, Peter felt close to God uh, when he actually left everything and followed Jesus Peter didn't say oh I feel closer to God when I'm fishing Jesus no no he felt he was closer to God truly when he heard his word and actually followed Jesus. And so this is kind of the opening thought that I have in the sermon that I want to really uh, kind of use in an introduction because that is where I think I can get really people to listen and uh, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, this is how I sometimes write sermons. I don't know exactly where I'm gonna take that. So uh, give me a a little bit here, and I'm going to write kind of the beginning of my sermon. And after I have given written the the beginning of the sermon, I'm going to stop there, and then I'm going to show you where I'm going to go with the rest of it. And so I'm going to pause this right now, uh, and I'm going to let the music play, and I am going to kind of begin the writing process of the sermon, and I will be back. Next time you hear my voice, I will have that part written In the name of Jesus For our text the text for our consideration this morning comes from our gospel reading Have you ever heard a phrase like this either from your lips or from someone else's I feel closer to God when I'm fishing It doesn't have to be just fishing although it fits well with our text It could be deer hunting vicar or gardening or drawing anything that God has made In this world, maybe it's just the peace of solitude and the beauty of God's creation. Maybe even times like that are used for times of prayer. None of that is bad. But when someone says, I feel closer to God when I'm fishing, more often than not, they are making a statement about Sunday morning. I feel closer to God when I'm fishing than I do on Sunday morning morning. And someone may actually feel closer to God when they are fishing, but I don't think that feeling is mutual. That's akin to a husband telling his wife, I feel closer to you when I don't have to listen to you. You may feel closer to God, but is is his word on your mouth and in your ears? Is that word confronting your sins while you're fishing? Is it leading you to repent of that sin? Are you hearing the words of Christ himself, words from outside of yourself, telling you that your sins are forgiven? Or do you just feel closer? Is a child closer to his mother when he doesn't come home from dinner? Can you get closer to God than feeding on his very body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins? Another issue is that it makes faith selfish. It makes faith a selfish endeavor. The life of faith is all about me in this context. It's about what I get out of the situation. I feel closer to God when I don't gather with his people, as if to say, I feel like I'm more a part of the body of Christ when I'm apart from the body of Christ. You're not here this morning just for yourself. You're also here for the sake of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that they need not confess their faith in Christ by themselves. They are precious to Jesus just as you are. All right, a couple of notes that I wanted to mention before I get back to writing here. One is you've probably noticed something that I didn't actually refer to the hymn in the garden. And there's actually a reason why. Is if I began the sermon simply uh, kind of talking about that hymn, I'm going to lose some listeners. To me, it's easier. I don't think... I don't think my comment on feeling closer to God when I'm fishing, that that's going to close people's ears to listening to what I'm actually saying. However, there's a lot of people, there's some people who have, might have a strong emotional attachment to that hymn that if I somehow besmirch that name right away in the sermon, that they may not listen to everything else I have to say. And so I don't want to just stomp on something that's dear to them. Now, when these issues come up, I have a basis then um, to talk about it. Uh, if, if someone says, well, I really like that, can we sing that? Um, if, if they really care about and they listen to this, the sermon, it gives me a, a contact point where they've been taught all these things, and so less and less it becomes an issue because they really understand the deep-rootedness behind why I don't like that hymn. So I don't out of pastoral care, I don't just begin this sermon talking about that hymn, because from a pastoral point of view, I know some people who who really find that hymn dear, and as much as I want to just go ahead and say, uh, don't, uh, I have the, the underpinnings of why, that gives me a chance to talk about it later, especially on an individual basis. So I don't wanna shut anyone's ears off to hear what I have to say. I want them to hear my message and then have a chance uh, if another context to bring it up. Uh, Because uh, I think there are bigger fish to fry theologically uh, in the sermon that I'm addressing rather than a love of a hymn, um, which they haven't really thought it through anyways. Uh, The second thing I wanna mention from a behind the collar pastoral note is uh, when I talk about in the sermon uh, I'd ra- I, I feel closer to God with about when I'm fishing I actually have not heard that in recent memory I've heard it often over the years but I haven't heard it in recent memory and that's actually important for me because if someone said that to me uh, in a way that they really meant it, I did kind of have that conversation, as I said, with, with someone, um, uh, but it wasn't in a way that uh, they really said it when they meant it. It was more of a teaching moment. And so I didn't don't want it to be a situation where, where someone said that to me and then, oh, guess what? You just made it in my sermon. If, if I had heard that, you know, in recent memory, uh, in a way that that person... Remember telling me recently and then I put it in the sermon. It it probably would not be good for them And so I can do this now because I actually haven't heard it in recent memory because I don't want my sermon to be reactionary Uh, You also notice uh, And this is just my personality. I do like uh, kind of every once in a while to have a little punchline here and there I probably get that from my father you know when i talk when i when i kind of build it up and say you may feel closer to god but the feeling's not mutual and i also use a few examples uh, and i think jesus does this from a parabolic way where where we make if we make our how we think about god uh, if we compare it to if we were to do that in our natural relationships with others that it sounds ridiculous and so, for example, when I'm talking about, I use the example of a, a child not coming home f- for dinner. Uh, do you feel closer when you're not having dinner with your mother? Does that good for your mom? And I also use that in the sense of a husband telling his wife, um, I feel closer to you when you're not talking. It's almost, I think it's kind of funny, but... Um, And, uh, but it it shows me the ridiculousness of that statement. I feel closer to God when I'm fishing. So, leading up, and I was working this there, there's kind of two main thoughts. Now, I'm kind of meandering at the beginning, and you might think, well, I haven't really talked about the text. That is true. I haven't specifically brought up the text much outside of saying, talking about the fishing aspect and, um, talking about, um, uh, Uh, the fact that it's from the gospel reading. Um, But that doesn't mean I haven't been taught preaching the text. Um, The two things that I've brought up from the text and I've been really hammering home, which is kind of almost kind of the meat of the sermon here, is one, about hearing God's word, which is very central to the text. Uh, Hearing the word that came from God through Jesus. And the fact that Peter, this is a little bit I'll be getting to, because what I need to do in the next part of the text is actually bring the text to show what I'm talking about. And then also, so bring the text to show what I'm talking about so that they know that hearing God's word is the utmost important, that uh, that simply feeling close to Christ isn't really the, the point uh, of a Christian life, and showing the selfishness of, the, of that statement, which is textual as well. Because when, when Jesus calls them to faith, peter james and john what does he say he says one reason he's doing is for the sake of others you're not catching fish anymore you're leaving your nets behind to catch others to catch men to catch people uh, with the word of god so inherent in the call to them as well and the calling to faith for them as well is it's not just about yourself it's also for everyone else And so those are are textual things that I'm talking about that I am preaching the text, even though I haven't actually, at this point, brought out the text. So in the next section, what I'm going to be doing is a couple of things. One is bringing uh, what I've said so far in the context of the text. I want to, before I get to that, talk a little bit about uh, the online church stuff too, because in a way that does... Make it a selfish endeavor. I don't want to bring it too much because that will uh, deviate from these other points that I want to get to. Um, but I also need then to to kind of not only bring it to the text, but I need to expand it a little bit. And what I mean by that is, is um, by me preaching this, I, I think I have done. Pr- pr- I, I have, in a way, brought everyone into it where they can. See this to a certain degree in themselves, but there's a lot of people who don't fish. There's a lot of people who are here every Sunday, and so who are here every Sunday that I don't worry about them fishing or hunting, or or whatever the case may be. I need to expand this a little bit so that everyone can see themselves in this aspect of the law that I've brought up. So that is what I'm going to be doing in the next section, tying it to the text, tying the points that I'm making to the text, and then also broadening it so everyone can see it themselves, whether they're fishers or not, that they can see the importance of it. So um, that is the next, and I'm going to do that now. You are not here on Sunday morning just for yourself. You are here for the sake of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that they need not confess their faith in Christ by themselves, for they are precious to Jesus just as you are. In the same way, virtual church or online services cannot ever replace what happens in God's house. Your brothers and sisters in Christ need you. Many dear people listening on the radio right now wish they could be here in God's house with you, but because of physical limitations can't. They not only want to hear God's word, they want to hear it and confess the faith with you. As we get to our text, our text should be familiar with us. People were gathering to hear Jesus. They were desperate to hear the word that came from God's mouth. The crowd was so longing to hear the word of God that Jesus had to get into Simon Peter's boat, and then he gave them the precious words of God. After not catching anything all night at Christ's command, They let down the nets. As Simon Peter brought in the miraculous catch of fish, he knew he was in the presence of God. He was given something he could not find alone in a boat. Confronted with his own sin, he confessed, I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me. He saw the power of the one sitting in the boat. Jesus said, do not be afraid. And as he said those words, he was pouring out his grace and mercy on Simon Peter, words of forgiveness. He comforted Simon Peter with the full authority of his own blood, the authority by which the fish were caught and by which the world was created. His sins by that authority were forgiven. Heaven and earth met in Jesus Christ and heaven was opened for Simon Peter. He heard it himself from the voice of Christ himself, something he would not get by himself in a boat. And as soon as Jesus said, Do not be afraid, he then said, From now on, you will be catching men. This, from the mouth of Jesus, was said to show Simon Peter that his life of faith and salvation wasn't just a selfish endeavor is it what wasn't about one man and one Jesus in one boat. By definition, this meant a love for others. Forgiveness of sins would not be something that could be kept to himself alone in a boat, isolated to himself and the meanderings of his own thought, but a gift of Christ that he gave a word to the world, forgiveness to a church, a confession by which Jesus himself was going to build for himself a church where the abundance of God's grace and mercy by the death and resurrection of Jesus would cause a glorious feeding frenzy before the eternal throne of God. A couple of comments about this section. Um, One is... uh, I was a little nervous uh, that I was gonna pay attention a little bit too much to the online stuff because I didn't want it to detract. So I might wind up shortening that just even a little bit. But I needed to quick it, quick get it back to the kind of the theme of that I'm, I'm building at, about the alone in a boat, about being closer to God. And so one thing I did is right away, I tried was just in describing um, the scene that we have in our gospel reading, to tie Jesus preaching in the boat to Sunday morning. And and so that I can put those two worlds together so that they can see clearly what is going on in the text and how Sunday morning is exactly the same. And I was actually a little uh, little uh, anxious, is a good word to say, of retelling the account of the text. If you notice, I was truly, really trying to get it quickly because I didn't want to get lost in the details, which is something that is can happen. You get so fascinated by all these details. Some of the things I mentioned in the text before, I, I, I've written to this, this point I really haven't brought up. And as much as I like to bring some of those things out, if it doesn't fit, if it doesn't match, um, detracts in any way from what I'm really trying to say in the heart of this sermon, uh, I don't want it in there. So um, if you notice, I was kind of anxious or quick about... The, telling the account. I tell it in a way that uh, I want to make sure the details even that I say jibe with my point so it all ties together. So every sentence, every phrase has a purpose in the telling of the sermon, not anything tangential. Um, I do a little bit like a, a little extra wording in the opening to kind of build a rapport with the congregation Uh, But then when I get really in this heart of me, I'd really try to make every phrase and every word important to what I'm trying to say. So, um, there is a little anxious in telling the details of the story, but I always wanted to tie it together quickly. And as someone whose mind wanders, I'm very attentive to, uh, which is kind of ironic to say, attentive to, to understanding that I don't want to lose the focus. I don't want to shift. Well, I've got, you know, the... The, the knife of the law and the gospel in hand. I don't want to drop it. I don't want. I don't want it to stop chopping away. And so, um, I, I really tried here to to tie it together nicely, to tie the opening to the intensity of this the, of what Peter goes through, and to place them in that world as quickly and as powerfully I can. And so. As I mentioned before I wrote this, two of my things I wanted to do is I wanted to tie my opening about feeling closer to Christ while fishing with uh, the text, and I think I did that. And I also wanted to broaden it out for everyone um, so that if people aren't necessarily thinking, well, I can feel closer to God in a boat, because many of them don't, with kind of the main concept of really appreciating God who is there before them how he brings to them forgiveness, how he calls us together to be a church, how with a renewed sense, how important they are to one another and how the gospel is in a selfish endeavor that, uh, that they have all a place as a part of the body of Christ. And I, and I think I did that. So now then uh, this, this third section that I will be writing, uh, it will be then using, going back to the imagery of how how Peter uh, immediately left everything behind, how he he realized where Jesus is found, where His Word is found, and that it just wouldn't do for him to be alone in the boat. And uh, and I do th- want to, uh, and I brought some imagery of of um, this point of the cross, of the resurrection, but I really want to nail that home just a little bit harder. So I will now be turning my attention to how he left that boat behind for something better and how he followed Jesus because because, uh, that is uh, following literally Jesus and the words of Jesus uh, really is what happened and and to uh, continue to bring uh, I need to talk a little bit more about the death and resurrection and bring that in just a little bit more here, but then apply it uh, to the listener just a little bit as I close this, this thing out. So that is what I'm going to do, and that's what I'm going to do right now. Actually, one thing I wanted to mention, too, is uh, the fact that uh, I, I use the word feeding frenzy. Um, sometimes when I'm writing a sermon, uh, I use uh, kind of mental images. in uh, this particular, uh, the catching of fish... It kind of reminded me of uh, when I was a youngster hanging out at the pond of the seminary, and at that time there was a huge whole host of carp that would would come in and do throw bread, and it was just this huge feeding frenzy. And I guess uh, to kind of that tied in with how I I imagined the fish being brought into the boat, that feeding frenzy, and then I kind of used that in my own mind to to bring that into uh, the, the rejoice, the great feast where we're we're gathered anxiously and excitedly feasting together as the body of Christ. So, continuing on with the sermon. Our text says that when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left their fishing nets behind. They left their fishing boats behind. They followed Jesus. That is where the word of God was found. They could no longer be in their boats They had to be with Jesus. They followed him as imperfect, impetuous sinners. They followed him as a, and as they followed them, they themselves showed their own pride, how they sought after their own glory, how they slept in Gethsemane when Jesus really needed them. They followed him to the cross, where as eyewitnesses, they saw Jesus die for your sins. They saw the resurrected Lord rise and grant them peace, showing them his wounds and giving them command to forgive sins in his name. And it is because of their precious witnesses, because they refuse to stay in their boats, that we hear the same voice of Jesus, calling us to repent of our sins, showing us how by baptism we are covered by his blood, and how we are called to be a blessing likewise to the world around us. Calling us to leave behind anything that would keep us from hearing the precious voice of Jesus. Leaving behind anything that would keep us from the beauty of the gathering of God's sheep around the voice of a shepherd. Baptized in the name of Jesus, Yes, we are imperfect followers, but yet in faith, we hold to the precious words that come from God. The precious witness that was given to us, we now give to future generations until the day our Lord returns. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As I kind of closed out the sermon, I thought I would... uh, I thought about going back to the opening and using just a little bit more of that, the imagery of uh, um, uh, I feel closer to God. And I think I was just, would have been beating a dead horse at that point. I think I I brought it up enough. Sometimes I really like to circle back. Um, I tried to show, really wanted to show too, in this section, how they, how the listener directly benefits from them leaving their boats they are benefit, beneficiaries of what what God did, did for them. I mean, their witness is what we hold on to to this very day. So that uh, they may reconsider the, the selfish aspects that they think is faith. <laughs> um, and, and so that there is a direct relation to uh, um, the call of faith and the call to be a blessing to others. And so I, I really tried to do that. I know I could have talked more about baptism. Uh, I generally probably have a little bit more on baptism in a sermon, but but I, I just thought it would be kind of forced, you know? I even thought about doing the, the fish out of water thing, but that would have been felt to me a little contrived and a little distracting from what I was trying to go to. So um, that has been a preaching and the anatomy of a sermon sermon. Uh, uh, episode that I, I kind of wanted to do today. So tell me what you think. Uh, let us know what you thought of, of this uh, this type of episode. Um, I wouldn't mind doing another one sometime. Uh, pastors, what do you think? Listeners, do you like to think about sometimes what, what kind of goes through a pastor's head when he's working on a sermon and what kind of considerations he has as he's preparing it? Um, and what we're trying to do and how we perceive things might be listened to and, and how we try to relate to the listener and where they at in their station of life in bringing this text uh, to the people. So tell us what you think. You can email us at feedback at uh, dot org, um or you can find us, message us on Facebook, uh, I think Twitter, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, let us know. Let me know what you thought of this style of episode because I would probably do a couple others in the future if the audience so desires. So if you liked it, let me know. And if you think that uh, might be interested, I know we do have some guys in the seminary who listen. If you kind of like this too and have any comments, uh, please uh, share it with someone that they may think about their own preaching and, and how they might do it. If uh, And if you're a pastor and if you have some comments on the process too that you would like to make, please let us know. We'd be happy to let you uh, to hear your feedback on that as well. That being said... Uh, This is uh, Bullhagen, and uh, may your fishing boat be empty on Sunday morning. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at Clerical P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Airs. See you next time.